I'm going to tell you a story. This took place back in the, the late 50s, 60s. The world was changing rapidly, and uh, technology was increasing at a rapid rate. And uh, here in America, people were taking note of these advancements and what kind of effect all of these changes would have in society would have on us as human beings. There were futurists and, and people who were skilled in, in technology who were studying this and studying these trends, trying to predict what would happen in the future. Because everything was changing rapidly and, and people were taking it so seriously that there was actually a Senate committee looking into this and they had a presentation from um, futurists all over the world who came uh, to present to this Senate committee what the world would look like in the future. True story, this was the findings of this Senate committee. Um, it was a Senate subcommittee in 1967 and they were told by these experts that by 1985... The average American would work only 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. Technology was advancing so quickly that these experts had figured out that everything will become so automated that by the mid-80s, we won't have anything to do. Everything will be done for us. This is actually going to be a problem. In fact, they were worried because they thought the main problem in the future would we would have too much free time for leisure. Now, here we are in 2022, and how many of you would say that that is not the case? In fact, quite the opposite. Even though we live in a great day and age where the Roomba can do the vacuuming for us while we're at work, sadly, these labor-saving devices that we have now seem to have just created more work, taken up more of our time. We seem to be busier now than we've ever been. So this morning, and I think it's a particularly um, significant time of the year, because I don't know about you, but I love the summer, but as a parent who has kids in school and college, I actually enjoy the fall, because things get back to normal, structure goes back into place, schedules come back in, the kids are back at school, um, I like that time of year, but instantly, it's like the summer, that kind of relaxing time, everything changes, now we're in the fall, and, and I don't know about you, but we get inundated with emails from the school or the schools if your kid are at multi, kids are at multiple schools. Everything just starts to get busy again and our lives get busier and busier. So we thought it'd be a great time here at Connect to kick off a brand new four-week series called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Now, it's actually a series that we've, we've based on a book that I read recently, a very challenging book by a pastor named John Mark Comer. And he wrote this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. In the book, in the, uh, the very beginning, he gives an, an insight into how he came up with the title of the book. He talks about uh, a conversation he had, the author, uh, John Mark Comer, with his mentor, a guy by the name of John Ortberg, who wrote the foreword to the book. John Ortberg was a, uh, still is a very famous pastor, but um, he tells a story of a time when he was the pastor of a church in uh, the suburbs of Chicago, a rapidly growing mega church in the suburbs of Chicago. And uh, Ortberg wrote, contacted his mentor, a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. And he said, man, listen, things are happening quick here. My life is moving so fast. I need some advice from you. What do I need to do to become the me I want to be? That's what he asked his mentor, Dallas Willard. He said there was a long silence on the other end of the line. And according to Ortberg with Willard, there was always a long silence on the other end of the line. 
And then his response came. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John says he scribbled that line down in his journal. He says, okay, what else? He said, another long silence. And Willard responded, there's nothing else. Hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, I'm guessing that if I was to go around the room this morning and do a brief survey asking each and every one of you, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing um, Jesus followers this morning? What do you think is the biggest challenge we as a church are facing in our world today? I think I would get a variety of different answers. Some of you might say marital strife or addictions. Some might say worldly thinking creeping into the church, greed, the redefinition of sexuality and marriage or the erasure of gender, materialism, Christian nationalism. The list could go on and on of what many of us would say, no, this is the biggest danger in the church today. This is the biggest struggle that we are facing as Jesus follows today. But I would guess that if I went around the entire room, there would be very few, if any, who would have said hurry is one of the greatest challenges we're facing. But I think Willard is onto something when he says that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. It's not on many of our radars, but as we're gonna find over the next few weeks, it's actually one of the biggest challenges we face, especially as followers of Jesus. It can create havoc in our personal lives, it can, it can create problems in our family, with our spouses, with our kids, and it can create disconnects between us and our Heavenly Father. Now, I'm going to be super honest up front here. For me personally, reading this book has been a challenge. We're going to be teaching on this subject for the next four weeks, and I want to assure you that this isn't me saying, hey, here's what I've learned. Here's what I've mastered. I'm I'm teaching to you as an authority on this subject. No, 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 no. Over the next few weeks as I teach on this subject, I'm going to be sat right there with you, listening along, saying, yes, I I need to apply that. I need to to, to respond to that. That is so true. I need to be more like that, because if I'm honest... Too often I can see how the the hurry in my life, in my personal life, has negative effects. Far too often I think it's because I I fall into this temptation. I know it's not the right way to go, but but I find myself going there that this idea that my worth can be found in how much I do as opposed to who I am. Maybe you can relate to that this morning, that, that, that temptation to, to slip into that, that dangerous area of thinking, well, what I do is where I find my value. So as I stay busy and hurried, I, I imagine that the people in my life will look on and think, wow, look at how much he does. He must be a really good pastor. Now, obviously, I only work for four hours on a Sunday morning, but I work really hard I work really hard during those four hours, so people must think, wow, look at him. Or worse still, sometimes I imagine how I must look in God's eyes. God, look at how much I'm doing for you. You must be really proud of me. And the problem with this thinking is that 
I and we can fall into this trap of thinking the busier we are, the more successful we are. The busier we are, the better we must be. And as a Jesus follower, I have to constantly remind myself that this isn't the case, that God loves me so much. God loves us so much that nothing I could do could make him love me anymore. There's nothing I could do. There's nothing I could add to my plate that will cause God to love me anymore. He loves me immensely. And you know what's awesome? There's nothing I can do wrong that will cause God to love me any less. That's how much he loves me and he loves you this morning. That applies to all of us here in this room this morning. Even if you're here today and you've still not made that decision, you're still kind of checking things out and you've not made that, taken that step to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to put you first in my life. Even if you've not taken that step yet, he still loves you. He still loves you more than you could ever, ever imagine. Now, here's the deal. It's not the busy in itself is bad. This series isn't gonna be telling us we've got to stop doing everything. It's not the busyness in itself, but there's a difference between a busy life that is full and a busy life that is hurried. The author in the book, Coma, he says, there is a healthy kind of busyness where your life is full with things that matter, not wasted on empty leisure or trivial pursuits. The problem isn't when you have a lot to do, it's when you have too much to do, and the only way to keep the quota up is to hurry. So in this series, we're gonna explore the difference between a life that's full and a life that's flustered. And we'll offer some very practical ways to not only know the difference, but also to learn how we can ruthlessly eliminate that hurry from our lives. Now, while I've shared some personal stories already here this morning, I have a feeling that there are some of you this morning that can relate to this. In fact, I'm wondering if there are some of you already shifting a little uncomfortably in your seat, working very hard at looking at me because you can just hear the thoughts of your spouse next to you going, that's you. That's you, that is. So you're just doing everything you can not to even glance across, but you're already kind of feeling the little nudge there. Well, listen, I'm not here to condemn this morning. Like I said, I'm sat right there with you. But I hope that as we go on this journey together, we'll discover there's some great news, there's some hope that we'll find that there's a, um, something we can find in a relationship with Jesus that transforms the way we live our lives, that we can have full lives, not hurried lives. Now, Here's the crazy thing. We can look at our lives and say, guys, oh, things have got so crazy. In the last few years, things have got, but this isn't a new problem. Hurry isn't a new problem. Despite the fact that we live in a day of constant notifications, 24-hour news cycles, 10-lane highways in major cities, hurry, this isn't a new problem. Listen to what the Roman playwright Plautus, I know you're all big fans of his, uh, what he wrote back in 200 BC, okay? This is a Roman playwright 2,000 years ago. The gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish hours. Confound him too who, is, who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my days so wretchedly into small portions. <laughs> 
Imagine being the Steve Jobs of two and a half thousand years ago and coming up with this great new iPhone of an invention called the sundial. It's gonna be great. It's gonna revolutionize our lives. Now we can know exactly what time it is and how many hours there are in a day. Life is gonna be wonderful from this point onwards. And not long after, the Plautuses of the world are cursing and despising you for coming up with this, this time machine, this, this machine that tells us, reminds us how much there is still to be done and how little time there actually is in the day. We have them now. We have phones in our pockets that remind us how quickly the hours are going by and how much there still needs to be done. And we get caught up in this, this panic, this, this busyness, this hurry, because there's so much that needs to be done. There was a man by the name of Maya Friedman. He was a cardiologist, and he rose to fame for theorizing that type A people who are chronically angry and in a hurry are more prone to heart attacks. He's the guy who actually coins the phrase hurry sickness after he noticed that most of his at-risk cardiovascular patients displayed a very unhealthy sense of time urgency. Now, this in and of itself isn't great to hear. It's even worse you find out when he came up with this. In the 1950s, this was 70 years ago, people were already struggling with this idea of hurry and, and too much to do. And things haven't changed. In his book, um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, there's a great section where the author um, uh, challenges the reader to, to look at some symptoms of hurry sickness, to self-diagnose whether or not we are afflicted with this particular disease. He has 10 symptoms. I'm going to list just a few of them here this morning because I think we'll all be too upset if I list them all because we'll realize, man, I'm like an 8 or 9 out of 10. But just a few of them here this morning. How about frequent irritability? Frequent irritability. This is a symptom of hurry sickness. I'll give you some examples. Do you find yourself easily agitated or quickly frustrated when it comes to getting things done? How many seconds pass before you're honking at that car in front of you that didn't move when the light turned green? Is there like a grace period or is it like straight away, come on? How do you feel when you're in that grocery line, you look across and the one next to you is moving faster than yours? Are you okay with that or are you like, Argh. How do you feel when the person in front of you, the grocery line, starts writing a check? <laughs> Come on! <laughs> like writing every word. You're like, there's cards for this. Frequent irritability. Maybe this symptom, emotional numbness. Do you feel unmoved by things that used to matter to you? Do you find it hard to care about someone else's pain? Here's another symptom, disordered priorities, maybe um, even workaholism. This is a tough one. Maybe you feel you're busier than ever, that you still don't have time for the things that really matter. You know, the world in which we live has changed. I came across this. This is crazy, okay? So um, for those of you who work hard, who are successful, there are advertisers who want you to buy their products. They want you to know if you're successful in the workplace, you should be using their products. Cadillac is a great example of this. So back in the um, 70s, Cadillac, they were selling their car saying, look, if you're successful, 
and you want to drive one of our cars, you're the kind of business leader, you're the kind of person who has all this extra free time. You go to the yacht club, you're out enjoying, you know, all the, 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 the benefits of your success. If you're a successful person who loves their leisure time, then you need to drive a Cadillac. Same company, same car today. Check it out. Look at you. If you want to drive one of our cars, you're the kind of person that doesn't even wait till you get to the office to start working. In our cars, you can jump, you can get an hour's worth of work done before you even get to work. That's how success, that's how you're measured in success. That's not a healthy thing. Are you displaying escapist behaviors? Do you find yourself trying to escape through binge watching TV or overeating or overdrinking? Maybe you've got a queue in your Netflix account that is just longer than your life will ever be. (laughs) But you're looking for ways to escape because life is just so busy. And the sad thing is, Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu, they know that. They love that. I still cannot stand that this is a real quote that the uh, CEO of Netflix um, gave back about five years ago. He says, you get a show or a movie you're really dying to watch, and you end up staying up late at night. So we actually compete with sleep, Hastings said, and we're winning. (laughs) The CEO of Netflix sees your competition as sleep itself, and they're winning. Maybe it's spiritual apathy. Spiritual apathy, the, the things that we could do to keep us close to God get put to the side because we're too busy. We're hurrying and and there's too much other stuff in our lives. I wonder how long it's been since you spent any meaningful time in prayer or reflection on scripture. And I get it. It's very easy to say, but it's so hard to find the time. There's just not enough time. We have to get the kids ready. We have to do this. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. You know, I dare you to open the screen time setting on your phone. See how much time you spent on Facebook or the web browser, or TikTok. And it challenges us to how we're prioritizing our time. These are just a few of the symptoms of hurry sickness. And I'm guessing that every one of us here this morning can relate to at least one today. And if we're truly honest, we're a little embarrassed at just how many of those boxes got a check by them in our lives. And yet, in spite of what we know deep down to be true, we still often live our life as if hurriedness is if we could do more, it will produce some sort of positive results. Whereas in fact, the truth is, we just seem to be striving, but never arriving. (laughs) I'm gonna make it a goal to rhyme in every message I have from now on. (laughs) Striving, but never arriving, always pursuing, always like the hamster in the wheel, always kind of moving. And eventually that's gonna take a toll. So this morning, as we kick off this series, let's take a look at what Jesus had to say on this subject. In Matthew 11, 28 through 31, a very famous statement Jesus made. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. This is the kind of life Jesus has for us. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Doesn't that sound amazing? If you are afflicted this morning with hurry, sickness, 
If you checked some of those boxes, let's, let's picture that verse again. Imagine now reading that same verse, but this time you're sat in a big leather recliner. Your cell phone's in airplane mode. You've got some Enya playing on the Bluetooth speaker. There's an open fire, a glass of wine. Listen again now to that verse. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. This is what Jesus wants for us in our lives. One of the most amazing takeaways I had from this book is that the author says, you know, we spend a lot of our lives studying the words of Jesus studying his, his teaching and trying to apply it, trying to follow it. But how often do we actually look at the life of Jesus and try and follow that? Jesus wasn't a hurried person. We see Jesus understanding the, the importance of, of living life at a, at a steady pace, at doing things that were good for his soul. And that was the life he wanted us to experience. And I think to understand this, we need to understand more what a yoke actually is. You see, in Jesus' day, a yoke was this, this wooden frame that would hold two animals together so they could work more efficiently. Often an ox would be brought in and the custom measurements would be taken to ensure that the yoke was exactly the right size to fit the ox. Then the yoke itself was roughed out and the ox would be brought back to try it on. And it would be carefully adjusted so that it would fit just right to ensure that it wouldn't rub against the ox or cause any kind of injury. When Jesus uses that word easy, when he says my yoke is easy, what he's actually saying is it's well-fitting. Following Jesus, it just, that the life of following Jesus, it fits well. It feels right. Following him doesn't remove the work from our lives. It just makes it easier. He's saying the life I've called you to is not meant to be a burden that weighs you down or rubs you wrong. The life I have for you is made to fit you perfectly. So if you're suffering from hurry sickness this morning, I hope during this series, you'll be encouraged like me to take off that yoke of performance. Remove the yoke of perfection. Lay down the yoke of achievements, the yoke of guilt, the yoke of never measuring up. Some of those negative things that, that cause us to always try to do more, always try to hurry, always try to be busier. And instead, take on the grace-filled, light, and easy yoke of Jesus. Mac, uh, sorry, Eugene Peterson, who um, brought us the translation, the message. So he uh, helps to translate the, the Bible into a really kind of contemporary, uh, easily readable version. And uh, in the message, this passage that I just read, the, the one I read earlier, listen to how he writes it in Matthew chapter 11. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Jesus' words, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitted on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. 
So over the coming weeks, we're gonna look at some practical ways that Jesus shows us that we can experience what his yoke is like, what it's like to have that, that, that life that was, was designed to fit perfectly for you and me. Some of what we're gonna learn over the coming weeks will challenge us to, to discard some things in our life, to, to reprioritize some things, maybe to, to shed some things that have built up around us in our busy, hurried lives. There'll be some things that we'll need to remove that distract us from experiencing all that God has to offer. But ironically, over the next few weeks, we're also gonna add some things to our life. You might say, well, how's adding things gonna help with a hurry? Well, well there are some things that, that we, we let fall to the wayside that Jesus says, listen, these were, these were put into creation to help you. When you add these spiritual disciplines into your life, they'll actually help you live a more fulfilled and enjoyable life. We're gonna add some practices that will help us find those rhythms of grace. Removing these distractions, adding these practices are gonna help us discover what some followers of Jesus over the years have referred to as the rule of life. The rule of life. A pastor and author by the name of Pete Scazzaro, who has his own story of burnout from hurry sickness, he explains the rule of life this way. He says, the term rule of life has its linguistic roots in an ancient Greek word that means trellis. Maybe some of you are familiar with what a trellis is. A trellis is a support structure that enables plants, such as a grapevine, to get off the ground, grow upwards, and become fruitful. It's a beautiful image of what a rule of life is and how it functions. It's actually a support structure that helps us grow up and abide in Christ. And Jesus talked about this. Jesus said in John 15 verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I love that image of, of Jesus saying, I've, I've created this, this structure, this trellis, that as your lives grow, as you continue to, to develop, as your life grows, as you become married, as you become parents, as you become grandparents, as you go through your life, there is a structure that you can build your life upon that will help you become the best version of yourself you could ever be the healthiest, in plant terms, the healthiest plant you could imagine. But it's gonna need to, 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 for you and for I to make a choice, say, I wanna live the Jesus way. I wanna eliminate some of that hurry in my life and I wanna live the way that Jesus intended me to live. In the next three weeks, we're gonna take um, three of the conclusions that John Mark Comer comes to in his book, and we're gonna look on how that can help us live a more ordered and unhurried life. The three ideas he comes up with in the book are solitude, an idea of just slowing down, slowing down to a place of reflecting deeply, pausing, turning off the noise in our lives, the solitude, the idea of just taking time to reflect. Simplicity is one of the things we're gonna look at. Why are we so consumed with consuming? What if less really is more? What could I do to, to simplify my life that, help, that might help eliminate some of the hurry that's in my life? And the last thing we look at is Sabbath. 
Sabbath, we're going to find out that this is actually one of the Ten Commandments, that God himself, when he created the universe, took a day to rest. And what Sabbath looks like in our context today, in 2022, what what does the Sabbath look like for us? What, What should that look like in our lives? What's the purpose of the Sabbath? What are the benefits of the Sabbath? See, the kids are excited that we're learning about this. They, they think, yes! <laughs> Slow down, mom and dad. <laughs> in her book, Springs in the Valley, the author Letty Cowman tells this great story of an Englishman who went to Africa back in the days of explorers. And he arrived there and he was excited to, to find new places and to, to venture into the jungle, into uncharted territory, to go places where no one had ever been before. And she tells the story that when he arrived, he, he found some locals that lived there and, and he agreed to, to pay them to be his porters. They would carry his gear. They would you know, lead the way with their machetes through the jungle. And he said, guys, you're gonna help me go to places that no one has ever been before. She says, the first day began and their journey began and they made great time. He was pushing them and pushing them. They were, they were working their way through the jungle. They, they went so far into these, these areas, these uncharted areas that no one had ever been before. Finally, when the sun went down, they found a clearing and they, they set up camp. They spent the night, but, but this Englishman who was in charge of the expedition, he couldn't wait. The next morning, he woke up super early when the sun rose because he couldn't wait to continue this journey into the unknown. He awoke the porters. He said, guys, come on, it's time to wake up. We've got to get going. And, and they said, no, we're not going anywhere today. He says, no, 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 we've got to go. We've got to go. Come on, there's so much to see and still so much to do. And, but they said, no, we're not going. She says that he tried bribing them. He tried threatening them, but nothing could get them to move from this place and continue on. And finally, he said, why? Why won't you continue on? And their response They said, we are waiting for our souls to catch up with our bodies. We're waiting for our souls. This was a a people group who understood life and the pace at which life had to be led. And they had this belief that they'd moved so fast on day one that they needed to allow some time for their souls to catch up with their bodies. In telling the story, she writes this quote in her book. This whirling, rushing life which so many of us live does for us what that first march did for those poor jungle tribesmen. The difference, though, they knew what they needed to restore life's balance. And too often, we do not. They knew that they needed a pause, allow some time for life to catch back up. And sadly, too often, we do not. So I'm hoping, I'm praying that in this series, like me, we'll arrive at that same conclusion and we'll find ways, we'll make ways to slow down enough for our spiritual life to catch up. Let's pray. Father, as I said at the outset of this message, Lord, this is an area of my life that I wanna see change and improve, Lord. And I know for many of us this morning, if we're honest We can see the the effects, the negative effects in our life of hurry, the exhaustion, the, uh, the, the, the problems in relationships, the effect it can have on our family, Lord. We can see that. But most importantly, as Dallas Willard said, 
the effect it has on their spiritual life. How it steals our time with you. So Lord, I pray over these coming weeks, as challenging as this subject will be, that, that we'll make a commitment to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to each one of these weeks because I wanna learn what it looks like. I wanna learn how I can ruthlessly eliminate the hurry in my life. I may still be busy, but the business will be a fullness of life. It'll be something that my life is full, my relationships are full, because I've eliminated the hurry. Help us in that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.